Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord briefly in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we now approach your word this evening, we do pray that you would, Lord, give us the illuminating power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that we might take heart the warnings that we find here in Jude's letter. And Lord, that you would allow your word to sink into us, that we would believe it, that we would respond in faith. And Lord, that you would keep us safe. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. There are certain things in our lives where we understand that they are not necessarily pleasant, but they are necessary. Uh, Most of us recognize the need to go to the doctor and if need be to uh, go through an operation or a surgery in order that we might have our health preserved. Uh, Most of us, if we hear from the dentist that we need to come in for Uh, a root canal for a filling or for a pulling of a tooth, uh, we recognize that that's not going to necessarily be a very pleasant experience. And yet we also understand it is necessary at times. And Jude is writing a letter that, uh, by his own admission, he, he wished he had written a letter that's a little bit different. He was eager to write something about their common salvation. And while he will address the issue of salvation, he's going to focus primarily upon false teachers within the church. And Jude is known as one of the most neglected books of the Bible, uh, certainly one of the most neglected books of the New Testament. And I think there's, there's a couple reasons why that might be. Uh, First of all, if you look down at your Bible and you you look at the text of Jude and you try to find Jude chapter 2 verse 1, you're not going to find it. There is no second chapter to Jude. It's only 25 verses long. In fact, there's no Jude 1 verse 2. It's just verses, verses 1 to 25. So it's a very short book. Uh, We also recognize as we uh, read through this letter that it has difficult topics. Uh, Topics that are difficult in the sense of they're difficult to interpret. Uh, We just had a a difficult passage that was read in in 1 Timothy, and it had a a couple different uh, hard spots with interpretation. But Jude is full of those. It has the topic of fallen angels, uh, the disputation over the body of Moses, uh, quoting from the book of Enoch, these are, these are strange things that we don't necessarily find in other portions of the New Testament. And then third and finally, I would say this is a uh, neglected book because if someone is going to preach or teach through a portion of the Bible, they're typically not going to gravitate immediately towards a passage on divorce or immediately towards a passage on uh, the topic of hell. 
And likewise, people are not typically going to gravitate towards Jude because it is a, it is a passionate letter for the believers to watch out for false teaching. And it has some very, very harsh words for the false teachers. And so we might want to ask ourselves, how, how are Christians to conduct themselves in a world that is full of false teachers? And even at times where they infiltrate into the church, how are they to conduct themselves? And the doctrine that I want to put before us this evening is this, that God requires Christians to contend for the faith, diligently guarding against false teachers. So God requires Christians to contend for the faith, diligently guarding against false teachers. And we'll be looking at the first four verses, and uh, we can divide it like this. We can say point one is going to be verses one to two, which is the author and audience of the book of Jude. Secondly is in verse three with the purpose for writing. And then finally, the description of the false teachers in verse 4. And so we'll look at each of those. And I intend for this to be uh, sort of a, an introductory sermon to the book of Jude. And then, Lord willing, I think maybe once a month we'll, we'll kind of make our way through the text. So we'll start first with the audience and the author in verse 1. The text says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James... And of course, anytime we're, we're studying a letter, anytime we want to understand a letter of the New Testament, we want to make sure that we understand who, who wrote it. And it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. And while there's uh, several different Judes throughout Scriptures, several different uh, Judases, if you look at the Greek text, you'll see that the name Jude is actually spelled out Judas, uh, but it could either be translated Jude or Judas. And so while there's several different options for who this Jude might be, the uh, long-standing uh, opinion of commentators as well as the uh, unanimous tradition of the church is that this is Jude, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. We learn in the Gospels that uh, Jesus did have brothers who were uh, not born, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, but born after Mary and Joseph had uh, uh, after Mary had given birth to Jesus and after Mary and Joseph had come together, uh, once Jesus was born, there were other brothers. We learn about that in the Gospels. And um, we also know that James was a brother of Jesus. And uh, right now we're studying through the letter of James in our, our Wednesday night prayer meeting. And we discussed how James is also a, a, a brother of Jesus, a half-brother of Jesus. So both Jude and James are half-brothers of Jesus. But we ought to note that Jude, even though he does have that physical relation, he's a, a brother of Jesus, would have known many details about Jesus' earthly life, he, he doesn't parade that before his audience. He doesn't say, Jude, uh, the, the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, but rather he keeps that in the background and he presents himself first and foremost as a servant of Jesus Christ. And just as the letter of James, I think that shows the humility of Jude, but it also shows the fact that Jude recognizes his earthly position with Jesus, the, the, the ties with blood. That doesn't, that doesn't mean anything, but rather it's the spiritual standing that is what, is ma what matters. 
And so he says, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. And because this letter is so small and we we don't have anything else written by Jude, it's very difficult to pin down exactly when this was written as well as who it is written to. Uh, Perhaps the best we can do is say that this is written to a group of Christians in the first century. And uh, perhaps the mid to late 60s is when Jude is writing. So it's Jude, the the brother of Jesus, writing in the mid to late 60s. And his audience is Christians. Now, how do we know that? Well, we can see looking at the second half of verse 1 that Jude just kind of rattles off several different terms. He says first, to those who are called, then to the, the beloved in God the Father, and thirdly, those kept for Jesus Christ. Now, when he is speaking about those who are called, he's speaking about those who are called, those who are, are summoned into a relationship with God. Now, very often we, we can talk about this as a, a divine summons. It's also known as effectual calling. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 31, says this, Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, he doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. And you'll note that we have there that it says, he doth persuade and enable. When, excuse me, when God persuades someone to do something, they do it. Uh, one, one commentator pointed out this is, not a, this is not a dinner party where the calling can either be accepted or declined. You know, very often if somebody asks us to, to go to dinner or perhaps to, to go to some event, we'll say, you know, let me, let me check my calendar. Let me see if I have uh, anything going on at this, that time. And we can either accept it if we'd like to go and we think we have the time available, or we will decline. When God summons someone into a relationship with himself, there, there's no declining. God enables and persuades them to embrace Christ. So it is an effectual calling. And that's what Jude is talking about when he says that these believers are called. Secondly, he says that they're beloved. Now this is... When we think about what we, what we deserve, when we think about the, the state that we are in, when we are outside of Christ, when we are in Adam with our sin nature and, and not regenerate under the wrath of God, to be moved over and placed into the kingdom of Christ and to be regenerated and be called beloved in God the Father, that's quite the blessing. Quite the blessing. And Jude is reminding these Christians that's who they are. And then finally, he says, it's those who are kept for Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus, in John chapter 17, verse 11, when he was praying to the Father, he said this, And I am no longer in the world, but they, believers, are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So the, we see here that Jesus prays that believers will be kept in the Father's name. And Jude, perhaps he's even thinking about this, is saying that believers are indeed kept. 
And this keeping, just like the calling, is an effectual one. There's no, uh, there's no falling away for the believer. There's no uh, slipping through the, the hands of God, if we can use an anthropomorphism. Uh, when Anna and I first got married, we received as a wedding gift uh, several different bowls. Uh, that was a really, really good wedding gift, and they were really nicely decorated. And uh, unfortunately, between the two of us over the past couple of years, the number, number of bowls that we have had has significantly gone down. And that is because if we, as we've been either uh, bringing them out of the dishwasher or washing them in the sink or, or walking over to the microwave, there's been times where our hands have been a little bit slippery and they slip. And then they fall to the ground and they shatter into a million pieces. And that's that. The, the believers here in Jude's letter, and, and obviously by extension, us as believers, can take great comfort knowing that we as believers will not slip out of the Father's hands, that He will keep us, that He will preserve us, that He will preserve us for Jesus Christ, for that great day where He will uh, have us presented blameless. And then He says, May mercy... Peace and love be multiplied to you. And each of these will be, will be vital. Each of these elements will be vital as Jude lays out his letter before these Christians. And we'll also see later on in the letter that God is keeping the believers here in, in verse 1. Uh, but later on, Jude is going to talk about how believers themselves must keep themselves in the love of God. And I believe those are, those are two sides of the same coin. We've got on one hand the, the sovereignty of God, God's sovereign power of keeping the believers, holding them in the faith, and at the same time, he'll later on talk about the human responsibility, about how we must likewise be diligent in keeping ourselves in the love of God. And so we'll, we'll see that later on. Secondly, let's move to the purpose of the letter He says in verse 3, Beloved, I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now this too is is full of of meaning and we can, uh, we'll just scratch the surface. But obviously we see that Jude, he says, I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. It's likely that he was intending originally to write a letter that was a little bit more positive, a little bit more on the encouraging side, a little bit more uh, perhaps even on the happier side. And yet when he heard about the circumstances within the church, he knew it was necessary, not pleasant, but necessary to write a letter for them to contend for the faith. And the word for contend here, it's not just sitting back and, and being passive. It's, it's a striving. It's a fighting. It's a very intentional uh, contention. So much so that we can say that it is necessary for these believers to, uh, to contend, to hold on, and to preserve what has been entrusted and when we're looking at the, uh, the word faith here, 
Sometimes we can see the word faith and it's the the subjective faith. That is the, the faith, the believing the promises of God, believing the gospel. Uh, this is not the, the subject of faith, but rather it's the, the object of faith, meaning this, at this time in the history of God's people, after the apostles have, have delivered what they received to Jesus and have delivered, delivered it to the churches, the, the faith is the set form of belief. It is the set body of authoritative teaching. And Jude is saying that this set body of authoritative teaching, it needs to be kept and it needs to be preserved in its original form. Don't mess with it. He says it was once for all delivered. Again, by, by Jesus and the apostles. We can think of Hebrews chapter 1 where the author to the Hebrews talks about how God has spoken many ways in the past. He has spoken now in these last days by His Son. And we, we certainly do live in a world where customization and, and changing and tweaking things is, is very common. If you, if you go online, you can go on to Amazon and order just about anything you want. You can customize it to your heart's delight. If you want to order a, a Bible cover, you can obviously... Uh, put your name on it, put your initials on it, customize it any way that you want. And we've become very, uh, very used to that. But in a world full of customizations, we need to be reminded that when it comes to the faith, when it comes to the authoritative teaching, there's no customizing. There no, there's no messing around with it. And since it has been once for all delivered, we can say on the on the two different ends of the spectrum, first, there's no additions. There's not going to be any additions to God's Word. He's spoken once for all. No new revelations. And so that would be against uh, the various cults that we see in our, in our culture today, against the Jehovah's Witnesses and against the Mormons. We're not adding anything to the Word of God. That's against Islam. Nothing else. But at the same time, it's against... Uh, what often happens in the more liberal side of the church, and that would be there's no subtractions. Uh, very often, uh, the, those who are part of a, of a liberal denomination will become very, uh, very embarrassed by the doctrine of the virgin birth. And they'll say, well, that's not really all that important. We can just cut that out and we can still be Christians. Nope. Can't cut that out, and you can't uh, cut out the resurrection of Christ. You can't cut out the deity of Christ. There, there are several things within this authoritative uh, teaching where if it's cut out, you cease to have Christian teaching. And so it's been once for all delivered, and they need to contend for it, to keep it in its original form, to believe it, to teach it to one another, to live it out, and to not change it. Finally, let's look at a description of the false teachers in verse 4. Uh, Jude is going to give a, a summarized description of the false teachers in verse 4. And then once we get down into verses 5 and following, he is going to bring out numerous examples from the Old Testament and from Jewish literature to illustrate the seriousness of the situation 
and the certain judgment on these false teachers. But he begins in verse 4 with certain people. And just as we said that the, uh, those addressed in the beginning of the letter in verse 1 are Christians, uh, we can be assured that those who are addressed in verse 4 are not Christians. These are not followers of Christ. He says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. And he's going to list off uh, different descriptions of these false teachers. Uh, But first, just a a word about the fact that their condemnation was designated long ago. There's various different ways in which this uh, particular phrase is dealt with. I believe that uh, John Calvin took the view that this is talking about the, the decretive will of God, that This did not sneak up on God. God already knew that these people were going to do this. It was something that was even decreed by God, even though he is not the author of sin. And I think that's certainly uh, certainly true. But at the same time, as we get into verses 5 and following in in the next couple weeks or so, we'll see that what Jude is talking about is that there has been a long established pattern of how God has dealt with false teachers and wicked people. So much so that we can say even all the way back in the Old Testament, it has been long established that people who are teaching these things, they are condemned. Condemnation is going to fall upon them. They, they fit the bill. They fit the pattern of these false teachers. And God, throughout redemptive history, has dealt consistently with false teachers, and wicked people. And so designated long ago. He goes on, he said, these are, these are ungodly people. These false teachers pervert the grace of God into sensuality. And these false teachers deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now the, the fact that he says that they are ungodly, he's likely not referring to the fact that they're uh, audibly denying God, audibly denying uh, Jesus Christ. But he's going to talk about how these people are uh, warped in their morality. They are not living holy lives. He says that they pervert the grace of God into sensuality. Now, so these false teachers are taking the grace of God they're taking the, the good news of the gospel, the fact that they're hearing everything can be forgiven, and they're just running with it. They're not seeking to conform their lives to the will of God. They're just taking the, the free offer of salvation and taking the forgiveness of sins, and they're hearing that part, and they're not hearing the part where you actually need to take up your cross and be obedient. And they're, they're perverting the grace of God into... Sensuality. Now, this is a, a very interesting term. It occurs in a few, a few places in the New Testament, but most interestingly, it occurs in Second Peter uh, when Peter is preaching and he's bringing up the actions of the people in Sodom. And um, he talks about how uh, Lot was, was distressed by the, by the lives of those who were in Sodom. And while the ESV translates it as 
sensuality. Uh, the King James, I think, brings out the meaning perhaps even a little bit better where it translates it as filthy conversation. And conversation in the King James language meaning lifestyle. So they're perverting the grace of God into a, a filthy lifestyle. And we'll see later on that we can look at the examples that Jude is using and see that these people were engaging in unrestrained sin, which is so common in today's world. Uh, very often we, we look around at the world today and even some within the professing church and we wonder, uh, are things getting worse and worse and worse? It seems like this uh, the sins that are being paraded around today are, are, are things that have never happened before. Now, if we, if we actually look at the culture in ancient Greece and, and in the Roman Empire, many of the sins that we see today that are paraded around, that are exalted, were also present in the days of the apostles. But these false teachers are taking hold of the gospel, they're twisting it and using it as a cover to engage in this sin. And it says that they are denying their master and Lord Jesus Christ. And again, once more, this is these false Christians are not going to just come out and say, we deny Jesus, we deny God, we're atheists. They're not going to do that. They're going to say that they believe in God. They're going to say that they believe in all this Christian theology. They're going to say that they believe the same things that these genuine Christians do. But the way that you're going to be able to tell it is in their beliefs and in their practice. It's going to come out. And sadly, we see that very often today in the professing church where there are fake Christians who will use Christian language and they will attend church. Perhaps they have a doctorate in theology or Christian counseling. They'll speak like Christians, they'll go to Christian conferences, they'll write books, they'll do all this and that. And they'll even profess that they're trying to help believers be uh, more winsome to the world, try to uh, bring more people into the church and expand the cause of Christ. And yet the terrifying thing is that if they are not in Christ and they are leading people away, they are nothing but a tool in the hand of Satan to lead people into hell. And that's what's at stake. And as we make our way through the letter of Jude in the next, uh, next month or so, we'll see that Jude is very serious as he talks about the things in this letter. He is very serious because he knows that it is life or death. That if the authoritative teaching that has been handed down by the apostles is corrupted, it, it's not just uh, people are going to, to lose their homes or lose money or lose their job. They're going to lose their soul. And so when we, we turn to the rest of the letter, again, in the next couple of months, we'll, we'll see that he's going to passionately contend and argue that believers would uh, contend for the faith and flee from false teachers. And he's going to show that false teaching is nothing new. It has been going on all the way throughout redemptive history. But it is something that is extremely dangerous. 
And so let it be our prayer that God would indeed keep us, that He would preserve us, and that He would deliver us from turning aside from the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Let's pray. Father, we, we do pray that we would be receptive to Your Word. And we thank You so much that You care about our salvation enough to warn us, Lord, that You give us Your apostles who have given us the New Testament. And Lord, it is our prayer that we would pay close attention to the words that Jude has for us. Lord, that we would take them to heart and that we would build our lives upon them. Lord, because Your Word is a rock and Lord, in, the, in a world full of sand, we know that we need the rock of your word. So please teach us and be with us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.